Welcome to the Mavens of Marketing, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Rachel Durkin. And me, Carrie Barrett. We talk all things marketing, innovation, sales, and business growth strategies, and the standard tried and true marketing techniques. Come for the conversation, stay for the savvy insights. And the borderline inappropriate jokes. of the mavens of marketing. We love you guys and are so glad that you've hung with us through our launch of this podcast. My name is Carrie Barrett. I am one of your lovely and talented co-hosts. The other, of course, is Rachel Durkin. Hey, Rach. Hello, hello. How is everybody doing today? I'm all right. You look fabulous. I love you in that blue. Thank you. I love you in your like little, your little. Well, I, I generally don't wear evening attire prior. To <laughs> evening attire? I can't tell on too. Well, it's a dress. It's a dress. Um, but I have this real quick promo shoot I have to do after this. And then I have to run to the bus stop to pick up my daughter um, because of said thunderstorm. We have a thunderstorm going on right now. So anyway, in the interest of time and efficiency, I'm wearing my fancy promo dress for our podcast. I like it. So and, but let's both- be honest, what are on your feet? Yeah, I've got these. <laughs> and workout pants. So well, welcome to Zoom. From you look yes. good from the waist up. <laughs> Listen, if there's anything that that we've all learned over the past year, it's that authenticity is where it's at. Mm-hmm. That's right? right. So that means warts and all. That's how mm-hmm. I'm taking it anyway. Um, very quickly before we get to our amazing guest today, Jennifer Kem, who's like, like a branding mastermind like all all things fabulous about branding personal branding rolled up into this one amazing package and i can't wait for her to drop all the gems that she's going to be today for our audience but very quickly for those who may be joining us for the first time and are not familiar with rachel and i uh, why should you listen to us (laughs) my name is carrie barrett i own carrie barrett consulting i started my business about two years ago I came into that business after a 20-year career as an Emmy Award-winning broadcast TV news anchor, reporter, and producer. Now I take what I learned about on-camera presentation and visual storytelling, and I help my clients expand their digital presence and their presence in the media through the use of video. Rachel? My name is Rachel Durkin. For those of you who don't know me, my company is Paradigm Marketing and Design. I am not an Emmy Award-winning person. That You're would be okay, though. very cool. But I have won some branding awards and some marketing awards. So that's neato. There you go. Paradigm is a web marketing and branding agency. We work with clients that are small and mid-sized, mostly focusing on clients with a complex sale. And we also have a nonprofit division. We focus on bringing together marketing and sales processes to create that touch process that will shorten the sales cycle and increase the number of leads a sales team is having. Awesome. Fabulous. And with that said, Drum roll, a very abbreviated one, because I can't wait to talk to you. Jen Kim, how are you? So fun to just listen to you to open <laughs> up this podcast. How refreshing. <laughs> I, I got to be honest, I've been on four podcasts today before you, and now you've made me love them again. So, Which uh, one has been your favorite so far? <laughs> no, well, no you, BS here. Yeah, for well, sure. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> well, you know, hashtag, when you guys had me at hashtag, uh, mom plus maven dress. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. 
I've got my slippers on too. You know, and my yoga pants. Yes, yes. For those uh, folks in our audience who have been living under a rock somewhere, I'm just teasing, but for real, um, you are amazing at what you do. You want to let them know who you are, what you do, all those great juicy little tidbits about Jen Chem? Well, thank you so much again for having me on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I wish more people knew me, but uh, I, what I will say is that the right people do. And, and I think that's the most important part of my story. Uh, again, my name is Jennifer Kem. Most people call me Jen. If you call me Jennifer, I'll think that I'm in trouble. So <laughs> probably say Jen. Um, I have been doing and building brands for over 20 plus years. I like to say I'm not a spring chicken. I'm a seasoned chicken. Uh, everything we do here tastes very good because it's been around and tested and done well. But so what we do at my company, Master Brand Institute, is we help experts and entrepreneurs build brands that help them get seen, heard, and paid online and offline more. And I've been CEO and founder of this company for the past decade. But prior to that, I actually left the corporate world. I didn't think I was going to be an entrepreneur or a business owner. I, I, I worked in the corporate world. My last job was VP of marketing at a top 15, Fortune 15 company, where I left uh, after being passed up for a promotion and realized that I had no full control over my future self or my future life. And I had two daughters who were in, uh, or preteens at the time. And I asked myself, is this kind of how I want to live my life or do I want to live it a little differently? And so I made that leap into entrepreneurship at that time. And I've never looked back. I grew up in a small, tiny plantation town in Hawaii, but I live now in the San Francisco Bay area, the heart of innovation in Silicon Valley with my husband, my youngest child who is still in the house he's only six so he's going to be around for a while my two adult daughters who are off doing marketing careers of their own crazy kids I don't know where they got that from and um and our two dogs um so that's my life in a nutshell I and I I love I love your life and I love all of the risks and challenges we've talked before Jen and I have about where she came from and where she is now and I think one of the things that always struck me and tell me if I'm, you know, left field here, but it, it, you have had a very consistent through line and, and you may have, you may have wavered a little bit or second guessed yourself, but like, but you as a person have had a very consistent personal brand and you've taken that from where you were in corporate and what you do now is certainly different, but that through line is central. So I'm going to start with a really basic question and I, it's one that I get a lot. I work with a business owner who's primarily known for their business. And they're like, well, why do I need to establish a personal brand? And what's the difference between the two? And is there overlap? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can you dive into that a little bit? What is the difference between the two? Do you need to have a personal and a business business brand? And do they overlap? It's like a 55 part question. I am sorry. <laughs> no, I love it because I get the same. So, you know, and I think it's one of the number one questions in today's world. And whether you're listening to this now or 10 years from now, uh, I will, I think what I'm about to say is relevant. And the thing is, we're out of the era where you didn't have to build a personal brand. We are out of that era. The era basically ended in about like 1996. Okay. So since 1996, 
The only reason that you would create a personal brand is if you were a guru, like a personal development guru of some type, right? Mm -hmm. A la Tony Robbins and that crowd. Or actually, if you're listening and you're a former or current corporate person, you actually probably understand this better. You had to build a personal brand inside of the company to ascend the corporate ladder Mm -hmm. because you were known as that person. Or obviously too, Carrie, you probably... uh, get with this is if you're in entertainment or media or broadcast, obviously you have a personal brand. But prior to the late 90s, that was fine. You didn't need one to grow a business because businesses were mainly um, hired and, and, and looked at as corporate or even if you were a small business, they looked at what you sold. They looked at right. what you offered. Now with social media and digital marketing, it is actually the era of the personal brand. And what that means is it doesn't mean that your personal brand is 100% needed to sell what you have. But what it does mean is that people trust the founder more. They want to understand the story of the founder. They want to understand where they came from and why they created this. And what's interesting is even though I said this was like a late nineties transition, the truth is, is like, If you think of any of the great founders of the world of any business and all founders, all business owners started across a kitchen table in a garage or at a diner with a friend writing on a napkin, their big idea, right? And some of them chose to become like Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs and create huge quadrillion jillion companies. And some of us who were sitting across the table from somebody or in the garage with somebody created a business that works for our lives. But either way, people still love the founder story. And so it is really important that, you know, your personal brand is imbued at least into your company brand. And so it's almost unavoidable now. You'll be a dinosaur if you don't. And I think I want to do one more nuanced thing there. I get this a lot. Is a personal brand scalable? Um, If I put too much of my personal brand into my business brand, will I be able to scale the company? And I'm like, Yes, if you keep talking about what you sell (laughs) while you're getting people to love your story and why you did it to begin with. So the difference is, is that now your personal brand becomes actually a marketing asset for your business back, if you think Mm -hmm. of it that way. That's how I like to see the difference. Let me take a comment question, or I want your opinion on this. This, if I look at the last 10 years, I've had a major identity crisis with exactly what we're talking about. Because as I started the business, it was all about me. It was only me, right? I had to sell, I had to do, I had to, you know, wash dishes, whatever. <laughs> and as change all diapers. my coaches, you change diapers, not them, but <laughs> I do now. Uh, you know, but all my coaches, all the mastermind groups, they said early on, you know, early 2000s, you have to make the brand not you. It has to be Paradigm, not Rachel, right? Because to your point, that wasn't really scalable. Like making it about you when you're a solopreneur, it's very hard to scale and get, you know, if if all my clients only want to work with me, I can only work with so many clients, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I spent all this time transitioning it to the paradigm brand. And now we're back full circle to Rachel brand. But what I've learned in that journey, I think, maybe, maybe you saying it now has made me just figure it out is, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big, a big fan of like Simon Sinek and the why concept and like your why and why you do things is as we've grown, we've built a culture that supports the why that is the essence of my personal brand. And we've tried to turn paradigm into that, but also we bring on team members who are drinking the Kool-Aid who want to do the same. And then their personal brand becomes the essence of paradigm also. 
So I almost feel like we've gone to this like 360 shift or we've gone around circles several times where it's been like personal brand, company brand, back to the personal brand representing the company. Is that a fair assessment or am I totally off track here? Well, your journey that you just described to me is the journey of entrepreneurship, which most people are not comfortable mm-hmm. with, which is you got to ch- test stuff out um, along the way and see what people become more attracted to potentially. Is it the personal brand or the business brand or a mixture of the both? I will say, I think the era that we're going and we're moving into the season online specifically is that it, it, it's required to show that your, your founder, the person founding the company has a set of experiences and expertises, and they are different, okay, mm-hmm. that your audience resonates with. So let me define experience versus expertise. So exper- expertise is the thing you do well, your craft, you and your company right? So in your case, web design, brand identity, all of the things that you do to help customers tell a visual story through web support and and graphic design and all the things you probably do. There's probably tons more you do, but that that's the expertise your company has. And the audience has to trust that. They have to trust that your company can do that as well as frankly, that you as the founder had some background in it. People are becoming less and less trusting of people who just say they can do something, but don't have the receipts, if you will, mm-hmm. to showcase that. That's the ex- expertise part. The experience part is actually your personal story. It's the founder's story. It's what were the things that compelled you to create this company? Not just obviously some people like me will talk about my journey as an entrepreneur because I talk about building brands, but if it's about the experience of how I was, I'm making this up, at one point I was a graphic designer in the corporate world and I always knew that I wanted to create my own freelance thing. That's what I initially wanted because I, I wanted to start a family and I knew I couldn't deal with the upkeep of my corporate job. Okay, that's an example of a experience story that's related to your expertise that you pair together that allows you and your company to show that you are the ones for the audience that they want, right? Because probably if they heard that story that you were in the corporate world and I'm just speaking in the collective we like if that's one of your stories like it's my story I came from the corporate world people who are in the corporate world or were really resonate we noticed that most of our clients end up being people who came from traditional industries became entrepreneurs and now they're building something bigger or they've already built something bigger and they want to get to the next level so just by saying that story I've now narrowed my niche because they see and resonate with my experience story. So I think that's one of like an easy way for even a listener right now, if you're navigating this personal versus business brand conversation, I highly recommend you blend the two and use what I call the putty between the tiles. The tiles are the business brand and the personal brand. Those are the tiles. The putty in between them is your experience and your expertise stories and how you bridge them together. And it allows you to scale your name as well as your business company name. So that's one of the tricks that we do inside of our company to help make that happen. So. And I think as you're you know, you're mentioning founder stories, but I think everybody on the team can have a story and an 100%. expertise that can support the, the brand as a whole. Well, I love what you said about Simon Sinek and the, you know, it starts with your why. Well, we have a, we have a framework in our company when we build brands and people go, oh, when I share it, people go, what does that have to do with branding? I'm like, it's everything. And it's called being values driven. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, is that, uh, you know, you'll go to a brand consultant 
or anybody marketing them, like, what are your values? What are your brand values? And we take a much deeper psychological approach to the values. And the values truly are based on the founder. Okay. It's not based on the whole company, all the employees. It's based on the founder. And when the founder can deeply express what their values are in truth, in honesty, because some people think the values that they have are their values, but they're not really your values because the easy shortcut to determining your values is where you're spending your time, your energy, and your money the most. Those are your real values. And from those values come decisions. Now, Mm -hmm. what does that have to do with your team and scaling? Well, one of the things that we do on our team is, and, and the teams that we work with is we find out what the values are of your Definitely like you're, if you have five people on your team, because you're, if you're a small business owner, you're not going to have a ton of people. You want to run lean, right? Mm-hmm. What are their values? So we do the same values determination process. And then we do this exercise of bridging their values with the company values, right? Because then becomes shared values instead of mm-hmm. just the company's values. And when you have shared values, that causes great retention and hiring. People want to work with you. And that makes a great brand because the brand is built by people. You know, it's not built by mystery, right? Um, sure. Yeah. So well, I, I'd ask you this, if I'm just, I have like a visual of a client and a friend in my head. What would you say if you're the CMO of a company and you're trying to pull this together? Because you said that the culture start or the, the core values start with the, the founder and you can't get the founder to focus on this. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're in charge of their marketing and their brand, but you can't get buy-in, you know, always. And I, I guess the easy answer is you have to get buy-in, but are there any tricks for that or? Well, I think that, you know, for us, our trick, and I honestly think that that's the reason I built the values driven framework. And I think that you can use it or you can use Simon Sinek's or you just point to another expert because I find that C-level executives, even if it's for a small company, they love hearing experience and expertise stories too, to make them look better. Right. And Mm -hmm. so if you can make them feel like they're the hero in the decision. That's obviously like the first approach. And what I always like to say is, hey, remember your values were, in my case, um, autonomy, justice, generosity, leadership, and legacy. Those are my company values. They came from me. They weren't always my values. I shifted them to create and design a business and that I wanted. Um, but as I was rebranding myself after corporate kind of thing, and my team and even outside consultants are invited to test me on those values when hard decisions are being made. So one of the things we use is the values as a filter for the decision instead of making the CMO the enemy or the CEO the enemy. So what I mean by that is like, hey, here's your value stack. Let's kind of run this decision that we're seeing some resistance or obstacles around to get done. Let's run them through their values and see how they align with them. And when you do that, it's a trick and it's also very effective to get the obstacle maker, which is typically the leader. Um, you know, and I say that with my hand raised up because I can be the obstacle too, uh, um, right? Like owning that uh, we're the biggest obstacle creators here. Um, that when my team, they've learned how to trick me, if you will. Like, hey, Jen, so we want to do this thing. And, and I'm like, no, 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 we don't have any space for that or blah, 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 blah. And they really feel strongly that it's actually going to grow the company in a way that's outside of me, which is good. This is good. Hey, we don't want Jen to be the reason people come and work with Master Brand Institute. So they tricked me by using my values against me. I like to think of it as for <laughs> it's me. garbage. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so that's kind of something you could use too with your clients even. I think that helps a lot. Well, it makes I, me feel I, better that I'm not the only one that does that because I'm told that I can make an unusual amount of work and that I create the most roadblocks. So. 
Absolutely, we do. We're entrepreneurs. That's what we do is we cause chaos, but that's also why change happens, right? Because nothing ever good in this world came from something cool and simple. It actually Mm -hmm. came from something hard and needed to be shifted. And it took a lot of velocity and and change to do that. And if if you're taking the leap of leading a business, even I don't care how small it is, or how big it is, you're one of the bravest people on the planet. I really believe that. And also we can't be in our ego about that. We are actually on a, we're on a plane somewhere in our DNA. There was some type of program that was installed in our genetic pool that said, go be crazy. Right. And so I I think that (laughs) like, that's, that's a default thing for entrepreneurs that I wish that they, but we're dealing with it because we deal with also like the light and the shadow really well, like the good times and also the bad times. Right. We understand that life isn't binary. It's actually more nuanced than we think. Right. Um, and so it's up to us though, at the same time. And then we have all that. We got to go take care of our team too and make sure that they understand it while we're running a sprint while they're trying to go slow down. We're in a marathon here, you know? Right. And you're like, well, no, you guys are running a marathon, but I've got 85 sprints that are right in front of me that I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to. And run. by the way, I got to go pick my daughter up at the bus stop. So yeah. that has to happen. Like that's non-negotiable. <laughs> so get it while it's here. Okay. Right. <laughs> like that's all the. <laughs> yeah. You don't just bring your two-year-old to the office with you. Oh, that just- <laughs> I Listen, I have brought my daughter into, when I was in the news business, I would bring her in occasionally. We'd go, walk into 30 Rock and it'd be 2.30 in the morning and, and she was a champ about it. But um, that was a different day and a different time and we weren't in lockdown. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I need you to get outside and stay away from me. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm a bad mom. I've accepted it. I'm, um, I'm with you. My, I, my follow-up question to that is you mentioned a couple of really interesting pieces of the puzzle in that answer, um, Jen. And it was, you know, about building a team that helps build a brand and sort of the through line and how you bring these two pieces together, the tiles and the putty and all that. Is there a, a consistent set of mistakes that you see people making when it comes to bringing these elements together, something that inevitably everybody does this incorrectly, or they start with this notion that's a complete fallacy. I mean, what are the mistakes that people are making? Okay. So the first one, when it comes to building a brand is that branding is about your logo or your website. That's the number one thing. And I don't care what stage of business it is. Even when like I see great companies who are crushing it. And for some reason, because they have extra money and more time on their hands because they're making so much revenue that they want to change their brand. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that they should be focusing on. I think your number one focus is messaging first and your messaging turns into your visual output. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not visual first, then messaging. So, and I think, especially if you're a newer, smaller entrepreneur, small business that you're, you know, you you haven't hit, uh, you know, let's say uh, $250,000 in revenue yet, you know, up until that point, I don't believe you should be caring as much about your logo. You need to look professional, totally. And you want to be polished to some degree so that people will take you seriously. But even like, I think of bigger brands and where they started, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the first Apple logo, but it is horrendous. Uh It is the (laughs) ugliest thing you have ever seen in your life. You cannot believe that Steve Jobs, who is known for his meticulousness and clean aesthetic, that he had this hand-drawn 
picture of Sir Isaac Newton under an apple tree as Apple's first logo. You can't even imagine him being that person, but he was that person, like all of us are, that we think the logo is what's going to sell the thing. Um, But I also want to say, as I said, you still have to have professional web assets and things in place. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of people like just pour gasoline on their money that they're using to start up their business on that. And I think it's a mistake. I think you need to get something great and you need to pay for solid professional output, but not spend all your money on visual branding. That might be, you know, um, I I think mm -hmm. people do that because it's easy, right? It's It's so much easier. They think it's like tangible. mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Also, and the I, reason that's a mistake is because your business is going to change so much in the next 12 the to 24 months that, you know, go to Vistaprint and get something done quick and then <laughs> yeah. come back, right? That's the point. Exactly. Yeah. You nailed it. It's like, go and get what you need to go and prove that your program, your product, your service is something the market wants and needs, and then go zhuzh it up, make it, it. sweeter. Um so I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is they spend a lot of time and it's because it's an avoidance factor too. It's way more fun. It's tangible, you know, and it's, it's a great avoider of talking to people and <laughs> telling them about what you do. <laughs> is there, I'll ask you for one other, is there another big mistake that you see people making? Mm-hmm. So I think that not getting clear on your offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way you get clear on your offer is, and making the offer the star of what your brand is. Okay. So we talked about personal versus business brand, right? So the business brand is kind of your company. The personal brand is obviously you, but there's a third brand here that you're not considering, or most people aren't considering. And it's the offer itself. Mm-hmm. That itself is a brand, right? And it's actually the most important brand because that's the thing that's going to create the transformation in your audience's life, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a widget or it's coaching or it's software, whatever it is, it's creating a transformation. And that's the brand you should focus on that. That thing makes the transformation happen. And the founder, the personal brand should focus on the stories I just mentioned, expertise and experience, get that right. And then the third thing is the corporate brand. That's going to, those two things, those two elements are going to make the corporate brand a brand people want to visit and tell people about. That's kind of how it really works. And people do it the complete opposite, right? So your offer is is the Master Brand Institute and it's its own, almost its own entity. I mean, not entirely, but am I understanding that correctly? No, actually Master Brand Institute is the company brand. Jennifer okay. Kem is the founder. So I'm the personal brand, right? And then our product or our service is we have you know a program called the Master Brand Program that helps okay. expert entrepreneurs develop their personal and corporate brands. So that part of it, the program itself is what we spend a lot of time on making sure is excellent, has efficacy, has results. Yeah. And that is what we focus on. And then it makes master brand be seen as this entity that can be trusted and that we can, you know, tell people about and say, yeah, our company created this thing. So okay. that's what I mean by the offer. Now I understand. I, I you got to break it down really basic for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you can draw together. a picture, even better. <laughs> well, I think it's like, think about it this way. This is even probably easier. Is like in, I use Apple because most people understand that brand. It's like yeah. Apple's the company. Steve Jobs is the personal brand. 
and the offer is the MacBook Pro or the or the iPhone, right? That's the offer. So like, yeah. how did they? It's it's the it's literally what made Apple the powerhouse that it is today is the iPod. Mm-hmm. That product made Apple become something in our mouths and our minds that we think and talk about. Yeah. That's what happened. Uh, prior to that, Steve Jobs was seen as someone pretty crazy and hard to work with. And he was that his entire life, but he was also known for a lot of failure. Like a lot of products failed. He got fired from his company, right? But then when he created the iPod, it became iconic and it made Apple iconic. And then they were able to roll out more. In fact, they're now more at risk now because he's gone because they have no innovation anymore. And that's part of their DNA as a brand and their values as a brand. And that's how it all, it all kind of works together like that. That makes perfect sense. So I want to ask you a question that sort of, I, I, I think, as I understand it, dovetails a little bit about what you're saying. And you have this, um, it's part of your offer. In fact, I've taken, I've taken this quiz where you, where you talk about your brand archetype, I believe, mm-hmm. and how that guides you and how that helps you craft your message and figure out where you fit into things. And it was really interesting. It was entirely different than anything I expected. And it was eye-opening as well because, oh, I didn't, I never really saw myself as that. But when you spell it out in black and white and you ask me the questions that lead me down that path, I see what you're meaning. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that and how it works? Yeah. So let me give you some context first for everyone listening. Yeah. People, the other question that people ask me before I talk about brand archetypes is how can I be different than other brands out there that do what I do? Right. Because Mm -hmm that's the biggest thing is like, you have to show, there are other life coaches, there are other media trainers, there are other graphic designers, other web builders, other brand strategists like me, right? So what makes us different? So there are four things that make you different. Your offer, that's why I started with that. Your stories, because no one has your story. That's one thing that's absolutely very different. People might have a similar story, but they don't have yours, right? The third thing is your brand archetypes, which I'll talk about in a minute. And the last thing is what we call your use case, which stands for your unique solution expertise. So what is the process? That's the process you bring people through to get the outcome they want. It's not the offer itself. It's the process, how the offer works. Okay. So I wanted to kind of give that to all of you while you're listening. And now let's talk about brand architects, because I've actually kind of talked about the offer (laughs) and I've Mm -hmm. talked about um, the value of the, uh, the stories, right? So now Mm -hmm. let's talk about brand archetypes, brand archetypes are, I didn't create them, Carl Jung did. He didn't call them brand archetypes, they were just archetypes. But uh, for those of you who've never heard of him, which I'd be surprised, if you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs test, you know mm-hmm. he's also the founder and creator of the Myers-Briggs, his, his teachings are. Um, I'm an INTP for anyone who's, who's curious about that. <laughs> and so anyway, archetypes are basically energies and it's not mystical. It's more like these are energies that move us through story and messaging. And there are 12 archetypes that he coined. I'm not going to name them all, but I will say that you as a founder have these, we have all 12 of us. It's like, even like horoscopes, they say like, you know, you have all 12 in you, but you're like, you're rising. Dominant. You're, you're dominant, right, yeah. right? All that. So The point of this is I actually learned about archetypes in my first job as a junior copywriter at Ogilvy and Mather, which is one of the top ad agencies in the world. In fact, David Ogilvy is like the godfather of all marketing, right? And 
I was really not writing anything. They didn't let me write anything as a junior copywriter, but I did grab a lot of coffee for the executives. And where I learned this term <laughs> archetypes was they were battling in the boardroom for this Coca-Cola campaign. And they were talking about Coca-Cola's archetypes and Pepsi's archetypes and how they needed to use Coca-Cola's to dominate Pepsi's. And this is where I first learned about how marketers and advertisers use this so powerfully and they still use it today. So basically what it means, so let me just give you an example. Coca-Cola's dominant archetype is the muse and Pepsi's dominant archetype is the ruler. In summary, what that kind of means is Coca-Cola, which is one of the biggest brands in the world, they play on the innocence of their audience. So in all of their advertising, you'll always see how they're sparking nostalgia and innocence. Think about a Coca-Cola ad ever in your life. In fact, Coca-Cola basically invented Christmas. I don't want to offend any of you that are Christian okay, out there. I'm just saying that Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus. That's why Santa Claus wears a red and white suit. Yeah. Coca-Cola invented the polar bears being sweet, fuzzy animals that we love at Christmas time. They are actually the most dangerous of bears. They will actually eat and hunt humans. Okay. On the flip side of that, Pepsi is a ruler brand. What do rulers do? Rulers are seen as more like the bosses, right? So they use celebrities a lot in their advertising, right? So my point is, is that it, what would you be able to do if you were a small business? And I think that small businesses don't take the power of this advertising technique into their brands. And so we've taken it and created Diagnostic, which you're referencing, Carrie, it's called the Brand Archetype Quiz. Where and it's not some fluffy clickbait type of assessment. No, it's, it's not. not some it's, very, it's it's really cool. Yeah, it's a full psychological diagnostic of the founder and what they care about, and mm -hmm. then it gives you messaging ideas to use as the founder of your company to message your offers, right? Um, and I, I when I came into this world, leaving the corporate world and coming into this world, I realized the biggest mistake that small business owners have in marketing, in my opinion, and building their brands is that they're not taking lessons from the bigger brands because the bigger brands are the ones that are influencing us bigger. So we need to, what I call brand jack, their approach using archetypes and using these things that I've mentioned and build better brands. And that's, that's what I think actually is missing. Um, and those that are doing it are winning and those that aren't um, are wondering like, what am I missing here? Cause I'm doing all the things that marketers tell me to do. And to me, marketing is a, is not just to help you make money. Marketing's job is to make your brand more trustworthy, you know? And when you get all those elements together, you start to build a brand people care about, that they trust, that they tell people about. It's important. Like, no so trust. Cool. It's the, it's the I am totally key. taking that quiz later, by the way, because I'm, <laughs> yes, you know, I'm a big fan of disc, like the disc analysis. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I really love that one. But so Jen, this was amazing. You have so many good ideas, but we're running out of time. So um, I'm going to follow up with the last question that we ask every podcast podcast guest to talk today. Um, what is the <laughs> weirdest thing that's ever happened to you? Oh gosh, so many weird things. Okay. I mean, I think that I truly have a, this is, I hope people aren't going to judge me when I say this. I really think I have a guardian angel because I've almost died seven times in real, in a real way. And I'm wondering if I'm coming up on my nine lives. So I've got two left. But I think the biggest one was when I was two, I survived a three-story fall out of a building and I landed on my head. And my mom actually says that probably is why I'm the way I am today. I don't know. But I did. Right? Or did you have to go to the hospital? Oh, for sure. And my, this is back, you know, this was back in the late seventies, right? When 
parents, we'd have cell phones. My parents were at a wedding. My uncle yeah. was watching me and he was in the toilet, basically left me outside. And I was leaning against, we lived in a high rise oh my and God. they were fixing the windows. And I was leaning with my full body weight at two years old. And it just collapsed under me and I fell out. And he even says to this day, cause he's still with us. And he's like, Jenny, I came out of the bathroom and I saw your little feet like leave in the thing. Oh my God. Down the stairs so quick. He doesn't even remember getting through the stairwell that quickly. He thought he for sure was going to catch me because of how fast he ran. <laughs> uh, but I was just laying unconscious in the pavement below. Oh and, God, and then, you know, scary. back in the day, if your parents aren't there, you don't have your health insurance cards. All yeah. There was a whole thing. And I actually, okay, I'm going to say it publicly. I can't believe I'm doing this, but it's why I have my nickname in my family is Tweet Tweet because- they said I was trying to fly like Tweety Bird, you know? So <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. being that uncle. I would have had a heart attack on the oh way. Oh my God. I still give him a hard time to this day. I'm like, you know, I could have. I would. Yeah. yeah. And did, by the way, did we just get like breaking news here? Does anybody <laughs> know that you go by that hashtag? No. And I'm a, a little hashtag. Maybe I should request that you guys do it. Right, hashtag tweet tweet. I, I, listen, everything that we do to promote this is going to have a hashtag tweet tweet. That's phenomenal. I'm glad you're okay. Oh my God. I am too. My daughter's too. And that just gives me a terrible feeling. But I will tell you, this is how, how like spiteful I am. My kids were being a pain in my butt this morning while I was like in a rush trying to get ready. And my daughter was sitting in our master bathroom, like on the edge of the, of the big tub like throwing things and being, you know, doing what I told her not to do. And I saw her slowly lose her balance and start to fall in the tub. And I didn't go to catch her because I was like, you kind of deserve it. But it wasn't oh, that long. You know what? That's true she talk right there. Has has mom and Maven talk. Yes, I'm with you. I, I will, it was I will fine, but I made a calculated decision at that moment. I was like, <laughs> I parent, you know, generally speaking, and then I'll shut up. And Jen, I want you to let all of our audience know where they can find you if they're interested in what you do and all that other good stuff. I remember one time I must have been about three ish, and I swallowed some, I swallowed keys, okay, like car oh, keys. Wow. And I, I remember, and I, I don't know why my parents didn't call 911, but I distinctly remember this. <laughs> we got in the car and my mom was driving and my dad was holding me by my ankles on the outside <laughs> of the car trying to get the key. <laughs> and no, no, like no Heimlich, no like back blows, but pulling out of the driveway, the key did come out. My point now is a very different thing. Oh <laughs> my God. Well, at least they were trying. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a nickname and I feel slighted. I'm yes, they should be. One. Why didn't they call you like, I don't know, Kiki. I don't know. Dumbass. Pro probably dumbass. <laughs> I probably do have a nickname. <laughs> I have an inappropriate joke in my head that I'm going to share after the podcast is over. I've got the perfect game for you now. Oh, man. I, well, you know what? You wouldn't be the first. I answered almost anything. So <laughs> with that said, Jen, if we have audience members who are interested in hiring you, contacting you, learning more about what you do, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Well, I love to be in two places the most, which is Instagram and LinkedIn. So on Instagram, 
You can find me at jennifer.chem. I couldn't secure the whole name. Somebody took it that has my name. She doesn't even do anything. I'm still trying to work on getting it back, but yeah. jennifer.chem. And then on LinkedIn, you just search for Jennifer Chem. I'm pretty much going to come up the top person um, on LinkedIn. And then if you want to take the quiz that we were referencing, I'm happy to um, give it to you guys. It's um, masterbrand.me forward slash maven i'll do a special link for you guys so that you know that they came from your show and um you can take the full diagnostic there and learn about yourself very you're cool. awesome as usual so many gems you were you were fantastic and thank you so much for your time thanks for having me i truly mean it this is my favorite podcast today 100%. okay and that's going to be the sound bite that we the clip <laughs> <laughs> And for our fabulous audience, thanks once again for hanging with us for another episode of the Mavens of Marketing. We'll see you back here next week. Same time, same place. See ya. It's a teaser. Coming up on the next Mavens of Marketing, we are speaking to stylist of the stars, Allie Levine. Aside from being a stylist, she has also built a tremendous personal brand through her influencer work and through content creation. So how do you wrap all of those things up into your personal brand? She's got all the secrets for you coming up.